All right. Well, hey, our Bible reading today is taken from the first nine verses of chapter 19 of 1 Kings. This is what takes place right after Elijah's victory on Mount Carmel when God defeated the 450 prophets of Baal. Now, Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a message to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Oreb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. This is God's word. They'll come down from the lurch with an unpleasant bump and the chances are then you'll be in a slump. And when you're in a slump, you're not in for much fun. Unslumping yourself is not easily done. So far are the words of our text. All oh, the places you'll go, and today we are going to a cave. It is dark, it is damp, it is a consistent 52 degrees year-round. So, hey, if you're watching in Missouri, that might feel real good to you. Now, hey, I'm going to admit it. I'm not sure which ones are the stalactites and which ones are the stalagmites. I used to be a science teacher, and I still forget that stuff. Have you ever been to the Mark Twain Cave in Hannibal, Missouri? I've been there several times, mostly on school field trips, but the last time I went, I brought along Pastor Charles Bameka. Uh, Pastor Bameka is the bishop of the Lutheran Church of Uganda, and he comes to the U.S. every three years or so, and when he does, we take him places. Pastor Charles has been to Bush Stadium and to the Arch and to Fast Eddie's too. But what he really got a kick out of was the Mark Twain Cave of all places. I really like this particular picture because it looks like Charles has the Holy Spirit on the top of his head. Just like on Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. Uh, Bishop Bameka, he loved the cave, absolutely fascinated by it. Apparently they don't have caves in Uganda. Now, if you've ever been to this particular cave, then you'll know that this is the place where the author, Mark Twain, spent much of his childhood playing with his friends. Can you imagine that, kids? Playing in a cave with your friends? Exploring the 260 passageways with just candles, no flashlights, and no adult supervision. 
Parents, can you imagine letting your children do that? Why, you're bored? Why don't you kids go out and play in the cave? Just be back in time for dinner. Uh, that's crazy. You would be lost. You could get lost in a cave, or you could get bitten by a bat, or or you could run into Jesse James and his gang of outlaws. He was there, hiding out. He signed his name on the wall, September twenty second, eighteen seventy nine. Jesse James hiding out from the law in a cave. And in a way, that's what Elijah was doing. Now, God's prophet was no criminal, but he most definitely was on the run from the authorities. To set this up, I'll give a quick recap of what Pastor Jim taught on last week. It is probably one of the worst, if not the worst, time in the history of Israel. King Ahab and Queen Jezebel are hunting down and slaughtering God's prophets and replacing them with their own court prophets who serve pagan idols and false gods, namely Baal. It is a wicked time. In a classic confrontation, Elijah challenges 450 of these jokers to a duel. It is a challenge. The gauntlet has been thrown down. Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, hey, have at it, follow him. But the people said nothing. And so two bulls are brought forth, two altars are built, and the one whose God lights the fire first wins. The 450 prophets of Baal go first. They pray, and they scream, they shimmy and shake. They even cut themselves, and Elijah just kind of sits back, and he's making fun of them because nothing's happening. And so now it's Elijah's turn. He douses his sacrifice, and he, then he calls on God uh, to make himself known. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. Now, when the people saw this, they fell down and they cried, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. Well, I should say so. God has done a great and mighty thing. And if the story ended there, that would be fantastic. But it doesn't. The revival didn't last long. King Ahab, who had a front row seat, continued in his wicked ways. He and his wife quickly reestablished their dominance over the government and religion. Baal remained. And Elijah himself, who had just defeated 450 prophets in a single day, fled for his life in fear of Jezebel. After all that, Elijah was afraid. Huh. After God's mighty miracle, Elijah is disappointed, discouraged, and depressed. He wanted to die. He poured his heart out. I've had enough, Lord. Just kill me already. It seemed that his preaching... His warnings, even his miracles, were a big freaking waste of time. I've been there. You have too. I'm sorry to say so, but sadly it's true that bang-ups and hang-ups can happen to you. You know it. You've seen God do some mighty things in your life. 
miraculous things. You were desperate, back up against the wall, no way of making it, no how, no way, but somehow, some way, God came through. You knew it, the Lord, he is God. But then it happened. And I'm not sure what your it is, but you do. That it could be the result of COVID-19 or cancer or pink slip or divorce papers, a wayward child, the death of your spouse. You've been in a cave. You pour your heart out, disappointed, discouraged, depressed. And oh, I know, you know, Romans 8, 28, God works the good in all things for those who are called. And, but you're not seeing it. You can't see it. How could God possibly work the good in this? The caves are dark. The caves are damp. It's hard to see in a cave. We can't see what God sees. We don't know what God knows. I think it was Tim Keller who I'll refer to in just a bit, but he said, God is giving you what you'd ask for if you knew what God knows. That's kind of hard to believe, isn't it? I trust that it's true. It helps me anyway. And here's something else that, that helps. Of all things, it is an old Star Trek TV show episode, which is called The City on the Edge of Forever. Now, I've never watched a Star Trek show. I'm not a Trekkie. I have not been to any of the conventions. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But I heard about this particular Star Trek episode by way of a Tim Keller podcast called The King is Dying. And you might like it too. It's wonderful. Go to The Gospel in Life Tim Keller, the king is dying, and you'll find it there. Well, I'm gonna do my best to retell it, and I guarantee, guarantee that I'm gonna get the details all jacked up, okay? But I've got the punchline right, so just roll with it, okay? Mr. Spock, don't email me. By the way, kids, that's the code word for today, Mr. Spock. Anyway. As I somewhat understand, it starts with a time traveler who goes back in history to the early 1930s, and he lands in New York City. And in this city is a nurse, and she's wonderful. She's caring and kind, and everyone loves her. She does good. Um, she's beautiful and all that, a really, really good person who gets hit by a car and dies. It's sad, it's tragic, totally unfair that such a great person like her would be taken out in the prime of her life. And that's why the time traveler, the time traveler goes back to the city and just as the nurse is getting ready to cross the street, he grabs her and the car misses her and her life is spared, she's saved and she can go back to helping people and being awesome, all's good. Except, of course, there's a twist. Because the nurse is also some kind of an activist, like a, a pacifist, anti-war. And she becomes like really influential. 
so much so that she's able to convince the public and the powers that be to keep the United States out from entering the Second World War. And as a result, Nazi Germany wins and uses nuclear weapons to take over the world in a total dictatorship, thereby eliminating entire races and countries, literally wiping billions of people off the face of the earth. And so, now knowing this, the Star Trek crew goes back in time once again, only this time they don't pull the nurse out of harm's way of the oncoming car. And although she dies, millions of people all over the world are saved. Well, that reminds me of another old story, and not a TV show, nothing fantasy about it. This one is all too real, and it goes back about 2,000 years. Jesus hangs on a cross, and everyone is screaming at him. If you were the son of God, then, then come down and save yourself. Even the, the thief hanging next to him rails at him, save yourself and us. And you look at that, and it's tough to see. But imagine if you could time travel and had been there as one of Jesus' friends, and let's just say that you only know what the disciples knew at that time. And if you had been at Golgotha, you would have looked at that cross, and that man, your teacher, your friend, and it would have looked all wrong. That is tragic and disappointing, discouraging, and depressing, to say the least. You would want to rescue him from all of that. And yet, God was working all things together for the good of those who love him. Save yourself, Jesus. Come down from that cross. He could have, you know. He could have, but what if he had? We'd be done for. Billions of people wiped out of heaven. The only way he could save us was to stay there. He could not save himself and us. No, it was one or the other. And he chose to stay. He chose us. And so what looks all wrong and tragic and discouraging and depressing from our point of view is admittedly just one-sided. We have our point of view. I don't believe God was or is punishing the world through the coronavirus. I, I don't believe that. But I do believe he is God and is somehow, some way, working the good in all things. Now, how is God specifically working the good in, like, in a global pandemic? I don't know exactly. And how is God working the good in anything? That looks all wrong and sad and tragic. I don't know. I'm not God. I can't see very clearly. We are in a dark time. It is hard to see in a cave. But I will tell you that a cave just might be the very best place to listen. Well, let's return to Elijah for a moment. I'll 
Pick it up in 1 Kings 19, beginning with verse 9. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. I'm afraid that sometimes you'll play lonely games too, games you can't win because you'll play against you all alone. Whether you like it or not, alone will be something. You'll be quite a lot. And when you're alone, there's a very good chance you'll meet some things that scare you right out of your pants. The Lord God said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire, earth, wind, and fire. Do you remember the 20, okay, I regress. After the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. God came to Elijah in a gentle whisper. God came to him in a soft voice, almost like silence. What did God say? He said, in effect, Elijah, you are not alone. I am with you, and I am mighty to save. You are not the only one left. You can't possibly see what I see. You don't know what I know. There are 7,000 in Israel who have not bowed down to Baal. I want you to leave this cave and go. We've got some good work to do. I will send you Elisha, a friend, and I will be with you always. On and on you will hike, and I know you'll hike far and face up to your problems, wherever they are. Oh, hey, I know it is a dark time. It is a dark, damp time. But life in a cave is momentary. It won't last because we're not made for caves. God designed us to be out in the world. He made us for relationships and friendship and in community with all others. We were made to go places. And yet, it is an unsettling time. And yet, my two favorite words in the Bible, and yet, God is working the good. One day, we will fully see and we will fully know but we can light a candle 
But we can catch a glimpse, can't we? Can't we even see just a little bit of good? Can this time be the time that God uses to bring us closer to him and maybe even closer to one another? I think so. Now is the time to listen. Now is the time to listen. We have time. We have the time to be with God, and it might be the very best time of all. Because God comes to us wherever we are. He comes to us in solitude. But the question is, can we be still enough to listen? Because his is a gentle whisper. You've got to concentrate when someone is whispering. You have to pay attention. You have to stop talking. Now, I can't offer a Schley guarantee that if you just sit down and be quiet, then you'll be able to hear. No, I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that God will meet us where we're at, but it will always be on his terms. However, it does stand a reason, though, that being still really is a great way to be with God. And now is the time. Find a little corner of your cave to be still. And open up your heart and, and wait expectantly. Read his word, which is his voice. That's his voice. Just sit and be still and allow his love to wash over you and to calm you. And God works the good. It is a very good time to be with God. It might be the perfect time because all the stuff that keeps us so busy all too often keeps us from God. Now, if for some reason you don't want the revival of God's presence in your life, then follow C.S. Lewis' advice. He sets it out clearly in a super sarcastic kind of way. He offers this instruction if you don't want God's voice. He says, then avoid silence, avoid solitude, avoid any train of thought that leads off the beaten track. Concentrate on money, sex, status, health, and above all, on your own grievances. Keep the radio on. Live in a crowd. Use plenty of sedation. If you must read a book, select them very carefully. But you'd be safer to stick to the papers you'll find the advertisements helpful, especially those with a sexy or a snobbish appeal. Now, if I may update that just a bit. He's saying that if you don't want to hear from God, then keep busy. Focus on yourself and on your problems. Obsess over how tough you've got it. Throw yourself a pity party daily. Keep checking your Instagram so you can compare yourself with one another Keep the TV on all the time and freak out. Make sure you do that. Be afraid. Be very afraid because it's up to you and only you can save yourself. Now, hey, we know that not to be true. But man, we need that reminder. The first and greatest commandment is that we love God. And we do that so very well when we stop Listen 
and become aware of his great love for us, and then maybe, just maybe, we can go after the one that's just like it and love your neighbor as yourself. That we need to look out from our cave and onto that cross. Oh, the places that he would go for us. One greater than Elijah has come. He is the Christ, and he is mighty. He is mighty to save. He is powerful. He can break the world apart, and yet his is a gentle whisper. He holds the world in his hands, and he holds you. He knows. He is guiding you. He is carrying you along. He is walking with you. You just don't feel it. He is working the good in all things. Be still. It is a great time to listen. Amen. Let's pray.